0: So I was asked just a minute ago if I could preach in slow motion. Um, so I'm just going to slow down in my sermon today, and we're going to be here a while. So um, thank you, Jerry, for the permission to really just slow down. I know, I All right. So uh, we are we are in Acts 20. One, uh, we aren't gonna we aren't gonna slow down too much. But I'm gonna share a few of the routines that I've developed, actually, that were kind of developed for me uh, since Ellen and I dove into the world of animal ownership. All right. So every night, about 90, 95 percent of the time, um, we've got two cats, Miko, King Miko, we call him, and Koki, uh, King Miko the large. He's kind of he's he's a heavy cat, uh, and Koki. Uh, every night. Um, and we have a dog named Sadie. Every night, Sadie uh, will jump up into the bed, uh, and she'll bring us like a Frisbee or a rope or one one of bones just to like remind us, hey, if you want to get out of bed and play with me, you can do that. I want to give you permission. That's like Sadie is bringing her toys to us. If on the off chance you're not really ready for bed, you can get up and come outside with me. Let's go throw the Frisbee around. I would really love to throw the Frisbee around, uh, and usually we don't. We throw a little bit, we play with her, uh, and then as soon as we turn off the lights, she kind of gets up and grumpily, and she jumps off the bed, and she, uh, there's a little hamper at the foot of our bed um, with, with, with the clothes that we've thrown to the hamper on the ground, and then every night for about five to ten minutes, she rolls in those clothes. Just I don't know why. She does it. Um, she does it every single night. And then, just a few minutes later, Koki, the smaller of the two cats, uh, hops up on the bed with one meow. She goes, and she hops up on the bed. On Ellen's side. And she crawls over Ellen to to me, and she demands to be pet. So she'll rub her face, like, on your knee or on your face. She just demands. And for five minutes, you got to pet her until she plops down right by my side. And throughout the night, she'll move from here to the foot of the bed and watch the door for us, just in case an intruder comes in. Then, between then and the morning, she wakes her way downstairs and sleeps by the front door, just in case an intruder comes in. Then in the morning, uh, Sadie is usually sleeping either uh, at the, uh, the, the platform of our stairs, which takes a little 90-degree turn, um, or at the bottom of the stairs, or the, the chair in the living room, or the couch. So one of those four places I walk up to, and I say hi, and she puts her little ears down and wags her tail, and she's so tired, and she you know, stretches and yawns, and I say hi to Sadie. Um, and I let her out, and, and I, go, I go take a shower or whatever it might be. Now that you know uh, just some really incredibly specific things about my house and my life and my nighttime routine, Um, we all have routines, right? We've all got these routines. Uh, Paul has got this routine going on. Um, But my question for us today is what happens when God calls us out of those routines? Now, maybe God's not going to call me out of the routine of petting my cat before bed, Um, but we've all developed kind of our our comfort zones in life uh, where if we kind of deviate from the norm... uh, that's uncomfortable. That's really uncomfortable. Um, but Paul has got this routine early in his life uh, that he has set out to snuff out the followers of what's called the way. Uh, that's what the early Christians were called. They, they were followers of the way, which was, which was Jesus. Paul thought, if I, can, if I can kill this thing and return Israel to a law-abiding nation, get back to our like, Yahweh roots, then God might come back and restore all of of Israel back to power and make things right with God's people. So Paul starts snuffing out God's people, snuffing out the Christian movement, the Christ-following movement. He starts to do that until Christ calls him by name. He meets Jesus on the road, uh, and Paul's life is absolutely, absolutely changed. Uh, from there, uh, Paul begins to plant churches, so Christ has called him uh, to plant new churches so that not only do uh, God's people, the Israelites, the, the Jewish people, uh, not only are they welcomed into God's fold, but Paul is called to be the, the, the church planter for the Gentiles, so people who don't belong. That's you and that's me, people who don't belong. Uh, that's... It's <laughs> Jude is not happy right now, or maybe it's Taya. Yeah, that's all right. Uh, so Paul is called to plant these churches into these different cities. So he spends time in these different cities. He builds relationships. He builds communities, much like we do here. So Community Reformed Church at one point was a church plant in the Zealand community as things were beginning to be developed. Um, next year, if all goes well, I'll be planting a church in, in Granville, my, my community. Um, and so God has called some people to, to plant churches. Now, I do want to point out God sometimes calls us inside of our routines. Uh, so if you've got a routine that's like you, you wake up, you talk to your neighbor, you go to work, uh, you come home, you walk your dog, you go to bed. Sometimes he calls people to their routines, and that's great. In fact, many of the biblical characters have been called in their routines. There's a, uh, one of the kings, all of a sudden it was like he's a young boy, 12, 13, hearing God call his name, and then all of a sudden he's 80. And it doesn't really talk much about um, what he does in between, but he's got this route that he takes from one village, one town to another, um, and that's, he's got this routine. Sometimes God calls us inside of our routines, and sometimes he calls us out of our routines. He does this with Paul. Now, Paul spends a significant amount of time in Ephesus. At the end of each sermon, I give a benediction, and it's usually from Paul's words to his friends at the church in Ephesus. Ephesus. Um, He spends three years in Ephesus. Sometimes we think Paul plants a church and then he just moves on without building friendships and he's like, plant a church, I'm leaving. Plant a church, I'm leaving. But he spends years in Ephesus growing with this community, uh, learning uh, and and working and laboring in the gospel alongside this community. And in the last chapter, chapter 20, um, Paul has to say goodbye to these brothers and sisters in Christ. And he says... Behold, this is chapter 20. It won't be up on the screen. He says, I'm going to Israel, or to, to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me. He says, I, I, I belong to the Holy Spirit, and it's calling me. He's calling me to Jerusalem. I've got to go. I can't help but respond and say yes to the call that God has placed on my life. And so the end of Acts 20, Paul is saying goodbye to his beloved brothers and sisters in Christ in Ephesus. And he says yes to go to Jerusalem. But then uh, his friends, his brothers and sisters, begin to tell him, hey, you shouldn't go. Now, how many of you uh, have a friend or somebody in your life that is always offering advice even when you don't ask it? and if you don't, I have some bad news. You're probably the friend. I'm just kidding. (laughs) We all have some friends that love to give advice. I love to give advice. We all love to give advice. Um, His friends start saying, hey, don't go. You're going to get hurt. Even Paul says, I don't know what's going to happen to me there. Uh, He he begins to, uh, it gets so bad that there's this man who's got four daughters who are prophets, who are prophesying over him not to go to Jerusalem, which also speaks of the place and and power and position of, of women in the New Testament church, that The Bible records these women as prophesying over Paul. Um, And one man says that you might might lose your life. And and Paul, uh, in this emotionally charged, relationally charged, beautiful conversation, says this to his friends, his partners in ministries. He says, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. I'm ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is, this is reminiscent of Jesus when he tells his disciples, look, I'm going to die on the cross. And Peter's like, no, you're not. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. This is exactly the same situation. Paul's like, I've got to go. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm bound by the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem. And now he's got this choice to make where he can either listen to God's call in his life and say yes Or he can say that the risk is too great and not do it. My challenge for us this morning is to consider whether or not God is calling us out of our routine. And the challenge is to say yes to that. We're going to see what happens with Paul as he makes his way to Jerusalem. He gets to Jerusalem, and his buddies, uh, his is the the followers of Christ in Jerusalem, make sure he's welcomed in generously. Uh, they're trying to make sure nothing bad is going to happen, so they take him through some ceremonial cleaning rituals. Uh, they get him acclimated to the uh, to the culture there. Now, Paul's probably been to Jerusalem before. Um, however, the last time he may have been there, he could have been still uh, uh, snuffing out the. Christian movement so last time he was there uh, he was kind of for the Jewish people and now this time he's there he's an ambassador for Christ so things are different and his friends his brothers and sisters in Jerusalem are trying to make sure nothing goes wrong they settle him in uh, and that's where we pick up the story kind of at the end of this ceremony that Paul does with his brothers in Christ Uh, we're going to pick up at verse 27 and it's going to be on the screen if you want to follow along otherwise you can grab one of the Bibles at your table so we're going to kind of just piece this together as we move through. Verse 27, Acts 21. When the seven days were almost completed of this ritual, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him. Now, likely these Jews from Asia had been following him specifically to confront him with this whole uh, Christian movement thing. So they're following him from Ephesus, from different places, and they follow them into Jerusalem to finally confront him face to face. So they, they, they cause this, this, this riot. Now, 28, crying out, these people, uh, they say, Men of Israel, God's people, help! This is the man, Paul, who's been teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place, for they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city. And they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Uh, So when you guys were kids, when you were driving, did you ever play like the, the slug bug game where you see a slug bug and you punch your brother or your sister? right? So when you're playing that game, all of a sudden it's like, you're not even seeing slug bugs or yellow cars, but you're saying you saw them. Yeah, oh yeah, there was a yellow slug bug, and went around the corner, I get one punch, and you punch him. That's what these guys are doing. They saw Paul hanging out with this Greek dude, who's not supposed to be in the temple too far, uh, and they say, we saw, we saw Paul with this guy, Trophimus, and he, he probably brought him into the temple. Uh, they don't even know, but they're saying, yeah, I saw the yellow slug bug go around the corner, it was totally there, you should, I, I, get, I get a free punch. So they're calling Paul out on bringing a Greek into the temple of God, which was reserved for God's people the farther in that you got. And they start uh, building this riot. Now, verse 30. Then all the city was stirred up and the people ran together. So like all of Jerusalem, which is a pretty big city, the people are running back to Paul to see what's going on. All the city was stirred up and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple and at once the gates were shut. So like they don't want any more trouble happening. They pull him out of the temple. They shut the the temple gates and now they're up on the temple, the temple mount. The entire city is in an uproar. Verse 31, and as they were seeking to kill him, Word came from the tribune of the cohort. All right, Temple Mount is this huge uh, stone platform that's about 36 acres worth. So a huge, huge stone platform. It was rebuilt shortly before Christ was born, about 20 years, maybe 15 to 20 years before Christ was born. Huge, huge stone mount. And on that mount, the temple was built. And on the, the northwest wall of the temple mount was this huge Roman fortress. That, so Rome could make sure that there were no issues between the Jews, between these new followers of the way, and between um, the, the Romans who were in the city. So this huge looming fortress, the tribune of the cohort was the commander of the soldiers stationed in that fortress. Fortress Antonia is the name of that fortress. So <clears throat> that's who the tribune of the cohort is. Uh, so the commander, dude, the, he heard that all Jerusalem was in confusion. Verse 32, he at once took soldiers and centurions. The centurions, were they were, they were men who oversaw about a hundred soldiers. So this is a big deal. And ran down to them, ran down the stairs. Uh, it was been a, just a few flights of stairs t- down the Temple Mount. And when they saw the, the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. So they're beating the crap out of this guy. And all of a sudden, like the authorities show up and they're like, we gotta stop, you know, we gotta stop beating him up because we probably shouldn't be doing that. Um, so this is like, Stealing a pack of bubble gum at the gas station and the SWAT team shows up, right? This is, they're making a really big deal out of this fuss. Paul is being beaten up. The authorities show up. The, the guys who are beating Paul up are kind of like, all right, we should probably stop. The cops are here. So they, they kind of put him down uh, and the commander, the tribune, this is verse 33, came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains, not just one, but two. And he asked who Paul was and what he had done. Like, why are these people beating you up? Explain it to me some in the crowd were shouting one thing and some another and uh, as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar he ordered him uh, to be brought into the barracks now uh, this is like if you're at a family gathering or a group of friends and you're the only one who doesn't know how to play the card game that you're playing or the board game and suddenly everyone decides they're going to teach you the rules by shouting them at you all at the same time and you're supposed to be listening to each one of them and putting the rules together all while you're trying to learn to play and now everybody's frustrated and nobody's learning anything and nothing is going well all the people are shouting about who Paul is and what he's done, and the commander's like, I I can't understand anything. So they bring him up. I don't know if any of you guys have experienced learning new board games with a group of family members. So, couldn't figure anything out. They pick Paul up. They bring him to the barracks. Things are not looking good to Paul. You wonder, at this point, is Paul wondering whether or not he should have listened to his friends who were saying, hey, don't go to Jerusalem. You're gonna get hurt you might not make it out alive. You can imagine just the, the rush of emotion that Paul is feeling, the, the fear, the scaredness that Paul is feeling in this situation right now. Verse 35, when, when he came to the steps, Paul was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. This is just like the story of Jesus where the violence was so bad they had to bring him I mean, Paul is, is, is literally fending and fighting for his life while chained, being carried by two soldiers up into the barracks. For the mob of people followed, crying out, away with him. The odds are stacked against Paul. He's beaten, broken, and in trouble. Amen. I agree wholeheartedly. So, verse 37. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks... He said to the commander, the tribune, hey, can I say something to you? Now, he says this in the commander's own language. Paul says, uh, no, sorry, the, 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 the commander says, do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? All right, that came out of nowhere. Um, there's, a, there's a first century historian named Josephus who... Uh, if you you read ancient historical documents, he's one of the people who talks about Christ outside of the Bible, who talks about movements of Roman soldiers, who talks about some of the things that are going on. Now, Josephus records um, sometime during Jesus' life, uh, a group of sort of terrorists that tried to take Jerusalem. This is, uh, And it was led by this Egyptian guy. So the the commander is hearing all this uproar, not sure what's going on. Paul starts speaking in his own language, uh, and the commander's like, are you the leader of this terrorist group that was here trying to take? the city not too long ago, he's wondering if this Paul uh, is the same violent criminal of what's going on. But that's just a really cool example of of where we see uh, stories in the Bible mentioned in extra biblical biblical texts in and around ancient uh, Israel. That's really, really cool. Look it up. Josephus, he talks about a whole, whole bunch of stuff. It's it's really, really cool stuff. Uh, So Paul, uh, the commander thinks Paul's the guy who's going to try to overthrow Jerusalem. So Paul replied, I'm a Jew from Tarsus and Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, please let me speak to the people. Now we're going to pause for a minute uh, at any point since Paul has left Ephesus after he wrapped up some things in ministry, wrapped up some, uh, some, some sort of business, he traveled different places, goes to Jerusalem, he could have backed out of this. He could have said, you know what? It does seem like the risk is too great. As he was being uh, beaten and, and broken and, and mobbed, he could have said, you know what? Uh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't, have, I shouldn't have caused any trouble. I'm gonna be on my way. I'm sorry, you know what? You're right, I don't wanna lose my life today. And he doesn't. As he says to the people in Ephesus, I am constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what's going to happen. I've got to go to Jerusalem. I have a few questions for us. Did Paul, convicted by the Spirit, go to Jerusalem? He hears God's call, hears God's voice, and he says yes. He says yes to take that first step from Ephesus to Jerusalem. And then he says yes when he gets to Jerusalem and he goes to the temple. And he says yes even even when he's being beaten, He says yes, because God had called him to suffering outside of his routine, outside of the norm. At any time, he could have said no. So my question for us today is, do we have the strength and courage to listen to God's voice when he's calling us out of our routine and saying yes? Do we have the strength and courage to hear God's voice and to say yes? And my follow-up to that question is, are we even listening? A huge part of saying yes to God's voice is listening for God's voice. Personally, I'm really bad at taking the time just to listen on a daily basis. God, where are you calling me? God, to whom are you calling me? God, to what are you calling me? And then listening. I'm really bad at taking a good amount of time and just listening. Do we have the strength and courage to say yes when God's voice shows up? and would we be even able to hear it? Are we listening? The follow-up to that, Paul's friends were urging him not to go. Of course, they were looking out for their friend Paul. They were worried about him. Now, if we have the courage to say yes, do we have the courage to encourage others to say yes, even when it makes no sense? Now, for a minute, I want to talk about something because saying yes to God's call in our life has been abused by people in the church before. You know, you flip open the Bible uh, and you, you go to the, the story uh, uh, where, where the Pharisees ask Jesus, you know, you know Moses said divorce was okay. Uh, and all of a sudden you think, yeah, I think God is telling me I need to divorce my wife or my husband. I flip to that page of the Bible, that's the, so I think that's where he's calling me. Um, or you know you know I think God is calling us to cross the country to sell all of our stuff. Um, yeah, my family my wife's not on board with it, uh, but but she she'll learn you know um, we've we've had the uh, the unfortunate reality of abusing listening to god's voice in our lives, but paul's decision to follow God it didn't harm his friends it didn't harm the people around him. It may have led to his own harm and his own uh, demise, so just keep keep. Keep that in mind when when the people you love and the people who care about you and love you are saying, hey, this really isn't a good idea. You're gonna hurt a lot of people. Listen to that and take it seriously. Yeah, I know, Taya, I know, listen to it. But that's a huge part of listening to God's voice. Do we have the courage and the strength to say yes when God calls you and me out of our routines? You see, sometimes God calls us in our routines and we should celebrate that for those who grew up in the church uh, and, and were called to West Michigan, to, to Granville, to Zealand. That's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Uh, so we talk about West Michigan like the Bible Belt, like, uh, like we're all kind of stuck up and righteous, you know, believers. And, uh, but this is God's people. You are God's people. We are God's people. And we should celebrate when God calls little ones to be in the church for their entire lives. That's an incredible, incredible thing. But sometimes God calls us out of that routine and into sometimes something dangerous, sometimes some suffering. I know, hey, come here, Taya, come here. Oh, I know, you are, you are running all over the place. Sometimes God calls us to suffering. And sometimes he calls us right to Zeeland, Michigan. <laughs> but the question is whether or not we have the courage and the strength to listen to God's voice and to say yes to those things. So I wanna invite us to Listen. Um, I'm going to read the rest of this passage because Paul, uh, all of a sudden, he is, he is in the barracks and he asks to speak to his people, to speak to the people of Jerusalem. And he, the, the, the commander's like, all right, let's see where this thing is going. And he makes a good point. He speaks, he speaks my language. Let's see what he has to say to the people. Uh, and so Paul addresses the people and he puts his hands up. Um, and, and basically, he, had, he was given permission. And Paul, standing on the steps of the temple mount, motioned with his hand to the people. And there was a great hush. So just a minute ago, Paul was chained, being beaten, and now he's kind of controlling this huge crowd of people. And here's our last part of the text. He speaks to them in the Hebrew dialect. So in the the dialect of God's people, the same people who were beating him and wanted to kill him, he speaks to them in the Hebrew dialect, showing them that he's one that belongs to God. So, and when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, and then next week we're picking up chapter 22, and we'll see what Paul says to these people who are just kicking the crap out of him. So do we have the strength to listen and say yes? I'm going to pray for us, but for the first like 30 seconds, I'm just going to be silent, and Tao will probably make some noise. That's fine. There'll be some distractions. That's totally okay. Just 30 seconds. Just ask God by yourself, to yourself, are you calling me out of my routine? So for 30 seconds, there's going to be some silence. And I'll pray. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your scriptures. Thank you that you are a God who calls us often out of our routine. And I, I thank you that it's inconvenient. I thank you that it's a bother, that it's difficult in, in many situations. It's hard to follow you, Father. It's hard to even sometimes hear what you're saying to us. So, Father, I pray you would you would speak to each of us as we ask you whether or not you're calling us out of our routine. And also, Father, where are you calling us in Our routine. Where are you calling us to those that we come into contact with on a day to day basis? Father, just speak to us there. Help us to know where you're calling your people. I thank you that you've gathered us together, Father. Help us to be a people with the strength and the courage, even when it makes no sense to say yes when you have called. You are good. You are holy and you are worthy. We pray these things in the name of your son, by the power of your spirit, for your glory. All God's people said, amen.